I'm glad for the opportunity to be here. I haven't addressed a group like this in years, centuries really. I suppose I should introduce myself. My name is Herod. Herod the Great, your historians call me, as opposed to the lesser Herods, I suppose. And there were a lot of lesser Herods. All of my sons and grandsons bore the Herodian name, but I and I alone was Herod the Great. Now, there was a time when I would have relished that title. I worked hard to be a great king. I guess you're wondering what I'm doing here. It is a little more awkward than I thought it would be. They warned me about that down there, but I have been begging for years for an opportunity like this. So I'm not going to leave until I've had my say. You've heard what Luke has to say about Christmas. You know what Matthew says. But now, today, you're going to hear Christmas from my side. You know, hell is where you get what you want. I hope you learned that sooner than I did. Hell is when you create your own reality and you reject the reality that God has for you. So the thing about hell is you always get what you want. You get what you wanted most while you were on earth. I wanted to be remembered as great. I wanted to be famous. I got it. You call me Herod the Great. I'm pretty famous. Yeah, I got everything that I wanted and nothing of what I needed. And now I have my nose rubbed in it for eternity. Every time historian writes, Herod the Great, I feel like he's scribing it on my chest. And every time a, a preacher reads from Matthew chapter 2, I feel like he's shouting in my ears, and every time some snotty-nosed kid in his father's big bathrobe and a cardboard crown with plastic jewels tries to put a sneer on his face and act like me, I have to watch the sorry scene every single time. I know getting to be here is going to hurt. Every time hell gives you what you want, it ends up hurting you. It's not what you need. I don't care if it hurts. You're going to hear what I have to say today. Now, I'm going to tell the truth, but you need to know that trying to be the king and the backwater of the Roman Empire was not for the weak at heart. It was nasty business being a king. Yeah, I, I did. I, you're right. You're right. I did some pretty terrible things. And I'm going to admit to those in a moment. But you got to know, it was tough being king in those days. Well, let's start with the history. It all begins in 47 B.C. when Julius Caesar makes my father procurator of Judea. My father, in turn, immediately makes me military prefect of Galilee. 
It was my chance to get my foot in the door. And I ran my job with the efficiency and the diligence that the Romans loved. I was good at what I did. And so I did the impossible. When Julius Caesar was assassinated, I kissed up to Antony, and I was actually able to make the transition from one emperor to the other, which nobody else was able to do. And by 40 BC, the Senate, the Roman Senate, declared me Herod, king of the Jews. Well, the Jews didn't really like me because technically I was only partway Jewish. And the Romans were suspicious of me because I was partway Jewish. It was hard. I had to consolidate my, my power. I was just 25 years of age when I became military prefect, so I had to do my very best. I built a dynasty from nothing. I was the first generation of real power. Well, if I couldn't win the people's hearts, then I would steal their affection. I couldn't make you love me, but I could make you fear me. Yeah, I did what I had to do. When you're king of the hill, everybody's gunning for you. You got to watch your back. You can't trust anybody, not your friends, not your family. I was paranoid all the time. Politics is that way, you know. Well, I had a lot of enemies. First of all, I had the Pharisees. Now, you, you think of the Pharisees as the bad guys. That's not the way we thought about the Pharisees back then. They were the good guys. They were the holy laity. They kept all of the Torah, the written law. They were so afraid they were going to break the written law, they built a hedge around the law called the oral law, and they kept that law too. And the people who despised me... They loved the Pharisees, and the Pharisees didn't like me because I was king of the Jews, and I wasn't fully Jewish. And why, if you were a Pharisee, I knew where you were and what you were doing. I had my eyes on you. I was watching. And then there's another group of enemies. This one was related to one of my wives, Mary Amney. Mary Amney. Well, the truth is, I had... 10 wives, and that's pretty good. But the bad part is then you have 10 mother-in-laws if you have 10 wives. You guys can't put up with one, and I had to put up with 10. It was awful, especially Alexandra, Mary Amney's mother, my mother-in-law. She was a lady of power and influence, and she tried to use the wedding between me and Mary Amney to produce an build up her own family, produce her own dynasty, and, well, I did not like Alexandra. She got it in her mind that her son, Aristobulus, should be the high priest. I already had a high priest. I didn't really want a high priest. I wanted a puppet that I would call a high priest, but Alexandra wanted her son, Aristobulus, to be the high priest, and so, well... Unfortunately, my mother-in-law had friends in very, very high places, Cleopatra and Antony, no less. 
They had a conversation with me. It convinced me that what I really wanted to do was to dispose of my own high priest and put little Aristobulus in office. And so I had no choice. My mother-in-law won her way, and her little Aristobulus was a high priest, and he was good, too good, if you know what I mean. The people that despised me loved Aristobulus. While on one occasion, he had presided over the Feast of Tabernacles so very beautifully that my mother-in-law, Alexandra, invited us all to go out to her country manor to celebrate, to rehearse, and remember how great the high priest was. Just what I wanted to do with my afternoon. After we got there, it was a hot day. I decided I wanted to go swimming. I invited my secret service, the soldiers, to come along, and I invited Aristobulus to join us. Now, that's the wonderful thing about being king. You don't have to put RSVP on your invitations. If I invite you, you will be there. Aristobulus went swimming with us. Now, I don't remember how it happened. I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. Your politicians can't remember 10 days ago. They forget, too. I don't remember how it happened. We were playing in the water. We were swimming. It was just a game. And somehow, one of the Secret Service men held little Aristobulus' head underwater too long, and he drowned. I was so sad. It was a terrible accident. And I gave him a big, big, lavish funeral. And I cried crocodile tears at the funeral. And everybody bought it. And I was rid of Aristobulus. Everybody bought it, but my mother-in-law and my wife, his sister, Mary Amney. Politics comes to this. Eventually, everybody spends their chips. You just got to wait for the right moment to strike. I waited. When Alexandra had spent all of her chips with the emperor... The emperor's family, I killed my mother-in-law too, and my wife, Mary Amney, got rid of them just like I got rid of Aristobulus. Then there were the Sadducees. Now, they're not the Pharisees. They're the aristocracy, and they don't really mind the Roman rule so much because they are padding their purses with the Romans in charge The Sadducees, they believed so differently than everybody else, but you had to watch them. And on one occasion, I had 45 of Sadducean descent murdered on one occasion. 45. Got rid of them. Now, I sort of hesitate to tell you about my fourth group of enemies. It was my son's. I mean, when you have 10 wives, every wife wants her son to be the heir, to be the next on the throne. Every wife wants her son to inherit all the material things that I had. And so over the course of my life, I wrote six different wills, count them, six different wills, naming six different sons to be the heir of my throne. 
But the problem was they weren't too patient about dear old dad dying. And about the time I would find out that one of my sons, who was going to be the heir, was well, he was conspiring against me and planning my death, and I would lock him in jail. Well, for example, Antipater, my, my fourth will, Antipater was going to be the heir of all things. But Antipater couldn't wait for his dear old dad to die. He tried to poison me. So, I killed him, my own son, for trying to seize my power. I wrote yet another will. Your historians have, have written down, it was, it was better to be Herod's pig than it was to be Herod's son. Perhaps that's true. But when you're trying to stay on top, you've got to use anything it takes to be in power. When I was getting so sick I knew my days were numbered at the Hippodrome. I invited all of the Jewish leadership to come to the Hippodrome there. I locked them all in, and, elect, and my sister Salome and her husband Alexis, they were on command of my death. When they received the word that I had died, they were supposed to slaughter all the Jewish leadership that I had locked in the Hippodrome because if I didn't, I knew the day of my death there would be dancing in the streets. And if I killed all the Jewish leadership, then there would be mourning. I didn't want them dancing in the streets about my death. I only lasted a couple of days. But... Salome, my sister, she didn't keep a word, and she let the Jews go free. The day of my death was dancing in the streets. There you have it. Thirty-four years of political prowess, manipulation, fear, intimidation, killing anybody that got in my way. Hey, being a king was tough in those days. Don't look at me like you would have never done what I did. I mean, we all have our kingdoms, right? You have your businesses, your business associates, and in your family and your community, some of you even in your church, you got your little corner, your little kingdom, your little place of power, and anybody threatens to take that power away from you, you will use what's at your disposal just like I did. You are a whole lot more like me than you are willing to admit. I mean... Life's hard, isn't it? You got choices to make. You do what you got to do to stay on top. I use the power at my disposal. You use the power at your disposal. I mean, either you walk on other people or other people walk on you. You take care of number one. Nobody else will. Oh, don't look at me like that. 
Well, you, you, you've never used a sword. You've never killed a son. You've never done anything like that. Oh, you haven't, have you? Well, some of you have tongues that are every bit as sharp as my sword. Just a little whisper in the ear, a little cold shoulder there, a little manipulation here. You ever want to be free? You ever have that dagger of jealousy in your heart? You ever want to get somebody out of the way? Yeah, I use my sword. But you use your tongue, don't you? You men sitting there saying, you never killed a wife. You don't have to. Your courts have made divorce so tidy, so neat. Just abandon her that way. All the same, isn't it? Don't look at me as if you're not like I am. You are a whole lot more like Herod than you ever want to admit. And what really makes me mad, of all the great things that I ever did, all you remember me for is a brief few moments when I met with some Persian astrologers. Have you forgot everything else that I did? Yeah, I had power, but I used my power for the good of the Jews. Besides, if the Romans had come in and the Romans had taken control, it would have been a whole lot worse with old Herod on the throne. I can guarantee you that. You didn't want the Romans to rule. I watched out for the Jews. All those cities that hug the Mediterranean coast, the ruins are still there today. The great cities I, be, I built for the people. Any of you talking about the great cities that I built? I don't think so. And how about that temple? In Sunday school, when you talk about building a temple, you talk about Solomon. Have you forgot that old Herod had a little temple building too? Ruins are still there too. The second temple, I rebuilt it, remade it. It took decades. And all you remember me for is for that brief meeting I had with the astrologers. It was one of those days, building projects for my thing. One of my chief contractors dropped dead right in the middle of the project, so inconsiderate of him. I had to move up an underling who didn't know how to run the, the subcontractors, and it was making a mess of the building. And while well, we were way behind schedule and way over budget, and, and that same day, I was told that some fundamentalist Jews in Jericho had locked themselves in a synagogue, and they said they weren't coming out until either the Messiah came or somebody came in and killed them. Well, I could take care of one of those things, couldn't I? They weren't coming out. And one of my wives was sharing the, the latest court gossip about another one of my wives. I could have used the Messiah myself that day. But I just took another belt of scotch about the time they walked in and said, there's some big shots from the east who've come to see me. We exchanged the usual diplomatic niceties, as I call them. And I shall never forget what they said. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? 
We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. What did they just say? I'm king of the Jews. What do you mean? Where is he who is born king of the Jews? I am king of the Jews. I spent my whole life staying on the throne. I didn't show my hand. I didn't really believe the Messiah had been born. But you know, you take oppression and desperation and it mixes together in such a way as to produce a Messiah. It certainly wasn't the first Messiah the Jews had ever produced. I told the dignitaries from Persia, oh, I'd like to worship him too. I asked my theologians where the Messiah was supposed to be born, and they said Bethlehem. We gave them a map and told them just as soon as they found that new king of the Jews to let old Herod know where he was, I'd like to bow down too. When they crossed the border without a debriefing, it really threatened me. I mean, I know now that God told them not to come back and talk to me, but what if there was a new king? I mean, I had ruled the people with force and with fear. What if somebody had come along who could win their hearts and win their affection? My days would be numbered, even if it was a boy king. So here we go. You know what I did. Hey, I murdered my own boy. What made you think I would murder somebody else's? Now, let's talk about it. First of all, I did the calculations. I didn't murder all the baby boys in Bethlehem. I only murdered those who were two years and younger. Nobody died that didn't have to die. I didn't murder the baby girls. Let's be straight about it. And I don't know how many they were. I mean, Bethlehem was a city of about 300 people. I didn't count. Historians have calculated somewhere between 6 and 20 baby boys died. That's it. And you go on and on as a church about the slaughter of innocents. You know what's really funny? All you remember me for is killing babies. And you live in a culture that murders 1,800 babies every single day in your country. You reach inside a mother's womb and yank out babies. And I killed about a dozen. <laughs> really? On your high horse, you're a whole lot more like me. Your culture is a lot more like the Roman culture. A baby got in my way, threatened my lifestyle, get rid of the baby. In America, 
Baby gets in your way, threatens your lifestyle, you get rid of the baby. So what's the difference? I don't see a bit. You see, where I come from, the truth reigns. Now for me, it's too late to embrace the truth, but I am ruled by the truth. You still got time. You got time to change. And I was right about one thing. That baby is threatening. Whatever hill you're king of, that baby comes, he's going to take that hill. I mean, he came to be king in a way that I never could be. He loved the people. Instead of killing the people, he died for the people. I didn't welcome the king. It's too late for me. You got a choice to make. It's not if you'll bow down to him, it's when you'll bow down to him. For every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess the King of kings and Lord of lords. And every crown ever minted by men will be worn on his head on that day. Where is he who is born King of the Jews? You still got a chance. Were you worshiping? Were you worshiping now? You do need to be threatened by him. Your mushy Sunday school parties and He's coming to take charge. Take charge of your life and have his will and his way. It's just a couple of days away. You don't have long to decide. The star's about to be in the sky again. And a baby's going to be born. The one who is the true king of the Jews. Let us pray. Oh God, help us to be ready to welcome this Christ child. May we, may we not be like Herod who wanted to push the baby out of the way. May we fall on the knee and glorify God to the shepherds that Christ has come.
Amen.